0: I've made it publicly clear that if I could be elected AG tomorrow without ever raising a dime and going to any event, and the only restriction would be that I can't do public corruption, you know, you can do everything else that the AG does, I wouldn't want the job. This is to me one of the single most important things the AG can do is to help restore trust and integrity in government to the people. This
1: is Dare to Defend, a campaign podcast with Alice Martin. She's running for Attorney General, and we're right there with her. I'm Brett Janik, and this is episode 14 Home Stretch. Us. It's been a little bit more than a week since we last touched base. How have things been on the trail?
0: We've been very busy. I was looking at my calendar and we've touched on eight counties. I've been in eight counties since we last spoke. Uh, St. Clair, Blunt, Coosa County, Limestone, Madison, where we had an AG forum uh, where three of the four uh, AG Republican candidates appeared. And We have more of those coming in the next couple of months. I hope people will go out and Lee and Clay County, and I'm in Montgomery County today uh, we will hit Jefferson County and probably in the in the day in Morgan County. So I've been busy
1: well before we get into the substance of this episode, I wanted to address a recent event. uh We're recording shortly after much of the country or at least the country's political class tuned into 60 Minutes to learn more about an alleged tryst between Stormy Daniels and President Trump. When we first started this podcast, I asked you if there are any skeletons in the closet that we should know about. Now, before we go any further with this podcast, I have to ask the same question more specifically. Are there any hush money payoffs to adult film stars that we should know about from you?
0: (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely t- not. You know, it, it appears you get a lot of uh, free publicity. It might not be great publicity, but if you've had some kind of scandal, as uh, as I think it was John Archibald says, uh, sex sells and sort of gets the interest of uh, of voters on stories. But no, there are no secrets, and uh, I did not even watch that episode on Sunday. I spent uh, that little bit of time outside playing with my remaining three English Setter Puppies. <laughs> I, I th- did something I that, more
1: productive. <laughs> yeah, much better spent time.
0: Yes, well, family time.
1: Yeah, well, well, last week you were endorsed by Bama Carey. Tell us what that means for your campaign and how you plan on leveraging that endorsement to gain greater momentum.
0: We you know, all the candidates are using Facebook to try to get our message out on social media. And so we test messages by that, you know, what's your thoughts on Second Amendment? What's your thought on school safety? What's your thought on pro-life whatever it might be. And the Second Amendment remains a very important issue for Alabama voters. And Alabama voters are very busy uh, trying to work, uh, get kids off to school, put food on the table, uh, do the day-to-day living things that they need to for their family. And so I believe a endorsement by a grassroots Second Amendment support group like Bama Carey carries a lot of weight with voters who don't have the time to go out maybe and study every single candidate's platform on the Second Amendment, how you would protect it, how you would actively fight against additional infringements. And I think it's important that they have a group like Bama Carey to uh, rely upon to do that research. I know personally I have spoken at many Bama Carey meetings undergone questioning by their membership. uh, And they want to know what you're going to do as Alabama's Attorney General, especially on these questions about gun signs. And uh, they're, they're a very informed group, and I'm pleased to have their endorsement. So what I think it does is it gives some sense of comfort to somebody who really wants to have a strong candidate on Second Amendments that somebody else has done that research.
1: The endorsement came shortly before 200,000 people marched on DC in support of the student-led March for Our Lives, an anti-gun violence protest organized uh, in part by some of the survivors of the Parkland shooting. In addition, there were 800 associated demonstrations uh, that also took place across the country on Saturday. As an avowed supporter of the Second Amendment and a candidate who has clearly gained the trust of many pro-gun activists, How do you view these protests and their stated aims?
0: Well, first, we are all taken aback when these kind of tragedies occur. And we are always sorry for the loss of life. And these young people are having to grow up very quickly by seeing these kind of incidents. But the media truly is not informed. And the issue for many that are using, I believe, a lot of these young people in these marches is an anti-gun agenda. You can just listen to the terms that are used during the, quote, gun control debates and understand that it really is fake news designed to strip law abiding citizens of their rights. And that will ultimately make us a less safe society. And it was interesting. I went to the Wetumpka Tea Party Second Amendment forum last night, and it was well attended. And we had a couple of great speakers and one of them handed out a, a sheet on terms that you hear during the gun control debates. And I found this interesting. We often hear the term assault weapon. They want to ban assault weapons. And then when you'll ask one of these young people on TV, what's an assault weapon? Well, it's it's anything that has a removable magazine. And it's anything that will fire, you know, more than one round, essentially. So they're wanting to get at everything other than a bolt action Uh, rifle. My pistols are semi-automatic. They have a removable magazine, as do many uh, modern-day firearms. But the term assault weapon prior to 1989 did not exist in the lexicon of firearms. It's a political term. Uh, Assault weapon was developed by anti-gun publicists to expand the category of assault rifles so as to allow an attack on as many additional firearms as possible on the basis of undefined you know evil appearance. And so that is something that those of us that are fighting to preserve our constitutional freedoms need to continue to repeat over and over again, you know these weapons that are being used in these shootings are semi-automatic. They are not automatic. And it is not a high capacity magazine. It is a magazine that was designed for that particular weapon and it contains exactly the number of rounds that was provided by the designer. So it's not some aftermarket modification to add to um, the kill count.
1: Do you think the Alabama legislature and Attorney General Steve Marshall have gone far enough this session in addressing the issue of school safety, kind of in this larger context of gun violence?
0: Well, no. Uh, we have two more days if if predictions are right as to when they will end the session. to We're recording on the 27th, and it's projected that they'll end it no later than the 29th. So to my knowledge, they've done nothing. But let me say, it's not about just this session. Columbine happened in 1999. When I was a U.S. attorney, I remember the Secret Service doing a very comprehensive review on school safety and things that they saw that schools could do to harden themselves as targets, and we've already talked about that on a podcast, adding in layers of security, just like I said we do on our homes. We, we lock our doors. We have an alarm system. We have a fence around our yards. We have outdoor lighting that comes on with motion. And so I'm really disappointed that our legislature, like other states, has not taken action over the years. And I'm disappointed that our Department of Education over the years has not taken further action. So I think we as voters need to ask those questions of our local school superintendents, our local school board members, our state school board members. What are you doing? Because it's not simply a law enforcement issue. It's an issue for educators.
1: Speaking of the legislature, what's the latest development with the ethics bill that we discussed last week, HB 317?
0: HB 317, according to this morning's report on Alabama political reporter has received some amendments of the weekend. I don't see where those are publicly available. I we'll see that later today when the legislature goes into session. So I'll be looking for two principal things. One, have they restored the revolving door so that you can't be working for the public today, uh, take a particular action, you know, a vote or lobby, and then tomorrow uh, you can be working for that entity and publicly helping yourself in, you know instead of the public. So I'll be looking for the revolving door. And secondly, I'll be looking to see if they have, once again, used the magic of words to put in something that would allow a part-time exemption for economic developers to lobby without being registered as lobbyists. You know, Brent, first they said it was um, part-time lobbyists, and then that language was objected to, so they came back and they rewrote it as less than (laughs) full-time. So (laughs) I'm sort of interested to see what words they use today.
1: It's my understanding uh, that you recently received the endorsement of Van Davis, the man in charge of prosecuting Mike Hubbard, the most significant ethics prosecution in the last 10 years. Tell me, uh, how did that endorsement come about, and what does it mean for your campaign?
0: Well, I'm very pleased to have Van's endorsement. And many people know Van as the acting attorney general who spent several years investigating and trying and convicting Mike Hubbard. But even before that, he was in public service. Van, I believe, was first elected as the district attorney for St. Clair and Blunt County in 1986 and served in that capacity. Now, they split uh, Blunt off, but he served as a district attorney up to 2005 and since then has served uh, many roles as a retired district attorney that has been assigned cases when there are conflicts between Uh, DAs and their ability to try a case in a very high-profile case like Mike Hubbard. So the significance is that Van has been in the trenches. He has worked hard to enforce the ethics laws in Alabama. And so it came about in that, uh, of course, I worked with Van on the Hubbard case, got to know him and certainly respect him and his hard work on that case. And I reached out to see if he had the same reading and, as a result, the same concern as I did of HB 317. And we also talked about the omnibus ethics bill and the study commission that was set up, and we were having that discussion. And I said, you know, the number one reason I'm running for attorney general is to clean up corruption in Alabama, uh, just as I did or tried to do as a U.S. attorney. I've made it publicly clear that if I could... Uh, be elected AG tomorrow without ever raising a dime and going to any event. And the only restriction would be that I can't do public corruption. You know, you can do everything else that the AG does. I wouldn't want the job. This is, to me, one of the single most important things the AG can do is to help restore trust and integrity in government to the people. And you do that through enforcing transparent and accountable ethics laws. So, Van and I were just discussing that. And I said, you know, I really would like your support, and he said, I want to endorse you. You know, I know that you've had a career of working for strong ethics laws to enforce those laws, taking on the tough battles, and as I like to say, you have the background and the backbone to get the work done. And so I said, let me come visit you in St. Clair, and and he said, I, do, I want to endorse you. I want to be your, your county chair in St. Clair, and I'm going to do everything I can to help you get elected because we need people like you that are going to stand up for corruption prosecutors and not kowtow to, you know, business people that want it to be an easier uh, road for them to influence legislators improperly.
1: You know, you have clearly made public corruption sort of the rallying cry of your campaign and part are responsible, I think, for uh, the changes that have been made to HB 317, you're part of the chorus of people who have said, you know, this signals a descent back into the the dangerous public corruption that we've experienced in the recent past. One of the other people who has really uh, highlighted the emerging uh, potential for corruption in the state is John Archibald, the lead columnist for the Birmingham News and com. He wrote an article last week entitled, Golden Age of Alabama Corruption Nears End, New One Begins. In that article, he referenced the Larry Langford case, the Jefferson County sewer scam, uh, prosecutions in the two-year college scandal, all cases which you had a hand in, and he uses them as an example of a hopeful period for the state in terms of cleaning up corruption. Despite your centrality to these cases and to the subject, your name is never mentioned in the article, which raises a larger campaign political issue. How do you change the media narrative so that you are connected to these cases without using them in a manner that appears self-aggrandizing?
0: Well, that's interesting. You know, I think the columnists maybe try not to appear as if they are trying to promote one candidate over the other and to remind people of the facts. Uh, I don't know how you do it other than to say, you know, I was the lead prosecutor on all of those cases. And uh, those plus, you know, a total of 140 corruption convictions over a period of about seven years after we got the corruption unit stand up. So it's up to me to get out in the field and people that remember my work to remind folks of that. And, uh, you know, sometimes I I say, you know, I'm um, I'm not trying to impress you with the cases, but I'm trying to impress on you the experience I've had. Uh, You know, I think it's real important to remind folks, especially the two-year college system, because at the time uh, that was brought in prosecution of Roy Johnson, the head of the fire college, I think Shelton State, Representative Melton, Representative Sue Schmitz, on and on and on. I think that helped to lead directly to the end of the double dipping. I believe the statistic was something like between 30 and 40 percent of legislators had family members or themselves directly employed by the two-year college system. And the uh, Ethics Bill of 2010 put in a ban for that, and that had a significant change in the two-year college system. So we just have to remind people of those victories and that we can go back and have good government if we just shine a bright light on these problems.
1: We're almost two months out from uh, the primary election, and as we enter in this something of a home stretch, yeah, your, your campaign just put up its first highway billboard. Tell us about the timing uh, and strategy behind these buys, and when we should expect to see TV ads for the AG's race.
0: Well, you know the the strategy is to just get your name out uh, to as many places as you can through whatever means, and uh, that opportunity came up through um, a colleague. Uh, to be able to have that on a billboard, and we said, why not? A lot of people travel uh, those roads, and that may be more effective than a uh, yard sign or a sign on the side of the road that's, that's low. Uh, TV buys, I think, for all candidates will depend on how much uh, money they have. And, you know, it might be interesting for listeners to know. I don't have my fact sheet in front of me, so these numbers are approximate. But if you were to run a political ad on Birmingham on only, you know, coverage of Fox News with a moderate buy for a week, it's about $18,000. If you add on their network, you know, that's ABC, CBS, NBC, and you're to add radio and you're to add the Huntsville Media Market, it costs about $100,000 a week to run a pretty limited number of TV spots. Then if you add into, you know, the other areas like Lee County to pick up that area of the state down in the wiregrass and you're to pick up the Mobile Baldwin County market, it really just starts adding up. So all of the candidates try to get the timing right on how much money are we going to be able to raise and how to best spend it in that final, final month. So some people may be up earlier than others, depending on what kind of funding they have.
1: Speaking of TV ads, you know, attack ads are typically a necessary tool in political races because they can be uh, so potent in altering campaign narratives and changing built-in assumptions about candidates. It's always a tough balance to strike. But has your campaign discussed the balance that you'd like to find between positive ads and negative ads? Have you, have you kind of crossed that, that bridge yet?
0: Well, we want to stay positive, And what we want to be is informing. You know, we want to be informing about what I stand for, what I'll do, what my background is. So that's how we're trying to drive our messaging in informing the voters.
1: During this past presidential campaign, and particularly during the primary season, we heard a lot of talking heads discuss the concept of candidates finding a lane and sort of running in their lane. So whether it's the uh, establishment lane, the outsider lane, the evangelical lane, that was sort of how people conceived of a primary breaking down. Do you feel that you found your lane at this point? And if so, what is it?
0: Well, I knew my lane from day one uh, before getting in, and that is the outsider lane. Uh, And that may sound odd as somebody that was actually the chief deputy AG running it. But what you're outside from is not outside of I've never worked in Montgomery, but you're outside of the establishment Republican. You're not part of the status quo. You're not part of the let's say you're not sitting at the cool table in the cafeteria, you know, and you can look at the finance campaign reports and see who the money flows to to see who's the establishment you know, and oftentimes the establishment follows the incumbent. But, you know, Governor Bentley appointed the current AG. The current AG was a Democrat until he switched parties at the beginning of Obama's second term. So he signed on the platform of the Obama administration and the Alabama Democratic Party when he paid his filing fees in 2004. Of course, when I was I was serving as a federal prosecutor for George W. Bush. He's running on the Democratic ticket in Marshall County. And then in 2010, he's running on the ticket with Obama being the president and signing on for that. So you can see the establishment of the lobbyist money. You can see the Hubbard porters, the people that were lobbied by Hubbard illegally, the people that he was convicted of lobbying. You can see the money going to that. So that's that inside the beltway, if you will, circle, and you can see that. So if you look at finance reports, you can pretty much see where people are getting their support. And so Mr. Marshall's getting a lot of insider support, and I'm getting support from more grassroots people uh, that are out there wanting to see a change in Montgomery and wanting to see strong ethics so that they feel that they can trust their government again. You know, people are still reeling that three of our last four governors have convictions for crimes, and that we lost, uh, you know, the speaker of the house to ethics violations of the very bill that he helped to pass. So they want a change.
1: Well, I for one am ready for an outsider in Montgomery, and uh, and glad to talk to one today. Thanks so much for joining us, as always, Alice, and uh, look forward to talking to you next week.
0: Thank you. I hope people that are listening will check us out and find where I am on the trail and come out and and hear and have their questions answered, because that's important. There's many, many issues, and we like to answer the questions that they have on their minds.
1: Thanks so much, Alice. Thank you. Dare to Defend is an 1819 Media production. To learn more about Alice Martin and her campaign for Attorney General, visit her at www.alicemartin.com. I'm Brett Janik, and we'll see you next week from the train.